You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Welcome to session three in our series on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to be looking at 1st John chapter 2, verses 7 through 17 in this session. John is describing what the Christian life looks like. And so he uses very descriptive words in his writing like life, love, light, and truth. These words are very descriptive, and he repeats these themes throughout these lessons here over and over and over again. They make up the foundation of his content. In session three, we're going to focus on the word love. The word love. We're going to see how love works in our life. We're going to see how love is affected by light and how love can be affected even by darkness. So let's start together verse 7 and we're just going to read a few verses here together. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one that you have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message that you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you're also living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already already shining. Now listen, if anyone claims I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. Anyone who loves a fellow believer, listen to this, is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by darkness. So John states clearly that a Christian who is walking in the light, and that means that somebody who's walking in obedience to God's word, right? That's what that, that's what that looks like. Any, any believer that's doing that will love his other brothers and sisters in Christ. And this makes perfect sense because God is love. And if God is love and we're in God, then we are naturally going to be expressing love out of our hearts and out of our lives because God is in us and we are in him. And that's the overflow. That's easy, right? What comes out of a Coke bottle? Coke. So if we're in God and God is in us and God is love, when we spill out, hatred isn't going to spill out. Love is what's going to come out of our life. Now, to the, so John says, to the extent that you love is the extent that you're abiding in God because God is love. So if you want to kind of have a barometer to measure how much you're abiding in God, then look at how much you're loving people. If you have a lot of hatred and disdain and constant frustration and irritation with everybody that's around you all the time, that's a very clear indicator that you need to spend some time with God. Now, now church, here's something that's very important, and I learned this a long time ago, and I'm glad that I heard a sermon preached on this because it, it really made a difference for me. 
The thing about the human heart, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, they think the heart is a leak-proof container. But the human heart is not a leak-proof container. The human heart leaks. That's why we have to continually be filled every day with that constant fellowship of the Lord. And that's why you hear people all the time say, you know, it's not about religion and following rules. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. It's all about having a love relationship with God. And that, and, and you clearly see here why it says that, because there's no possible way that we can consistently love our brothers and sisters in Christ unless we're connected with love, the source of love who is God. Does that make sense? Can I have an amen if you are with me? So the thing that you have to be careful about is, and and I think we do this a lot in our culture, we devalue the meaning of the word love. And I preached a couple of sermons on this. I've got a couple of good ones. If you want to go to our church podcast and just, you know, type in my name and it'll pull up some sermons. But I've got a couple of really good sermons that I did on this topic about love. But we really devalue the meaning of love because it's a word that we throw around so much today. I hear so many people all the time. I'm around young people. They do this all the time. Love you, ma'am. I love you. I love you. Love you. And they're giving hugs and I love you. Everybody today, everybody. I mean, I'm watching even grown 50-year-old men who we used to always think that was weird when I was growing. Now I'm watching grown 50, 60-year-old men saying, I love you. And, and the, the problem is, people say, I love you, but they also say, I love puppies, and I love coffee, and I love pizza. And I was feeling really good about it the other day. I had somebody tell me, man, Paul, I, I, I really, man, I really love you. And I love French fries too. And I thought, well, okay, well, golly, that's not all that good, I don't guess, if you're, you know, if you're comparing love to, to French fries, and that, the, the part of our problem is, is our limited vocabulary in English, okay? So in English, we have one word for love, and it's spelled L-O-V-E. Just one. That's all we have. Well, in the Greek language, and you're looking at the majority of the New Testament was written in this, it's a very descriptive language. And so they have mainly four words for love. They actually have about seven, but... We're going to focus on the four main ones that they have for love. Now, think about that. In the Greek language, there are four different words, completely different spellings, and completely different applications and meanings, depending on how they're used. So I want to look at these four. Many of you have heard of the word agape. I mean, it's a fairly familiar term. We're used to hearing that word agape. This is like the love that a parent would have for an only child, like their, their only child. You know, that's, that's the love that the father had for Jesus, his, his only son. And so that's what agape love. It's like the highest form of love in the Greek language. It doesn't get any higher. That is the most love that you can possibly have. And so this defines God's love. It's immeasurable. It's incomparable. It's unconditional. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's just, it's amazing. It's a love that Paul, the apostle said, who can even comprehend or understand it? The breadth, the height, the width, the depth of God's love. It's just hard for the human mind and heart to even wrap our heads around. 
You know, because I'm I don't know if y'all do this, but I, I I have conversations with the Lord and I'm just like, God, I, I'm such a bonehead. I don't know why you put up with me or why you love me like you do. Have any of y'all ever had that kind of conversation? And I don't do that all the time, but you know, when you do something you know was stupid and you kind of tell yourself that was stupid and why did you say that or why did you do that or why did you think that? And then you're like, God, forgive me, and you're thinking. If I were God, I wouldn't forgive me. I've asked to be forgiven for that same thing. I can't tell you how many times that I've asked God to forgive me for that. That's agape love. That's what that looks like. The next love is what we call phileo. And this is like a companionship love. It's a brotherly love. It's the love that we all have with our brothers and sisters here tonight. It's a brotherly sister love that we have with one another. <clears throat> the third type of love is storge. This describes family love. It's like the love that a husband has for his family. I mean, a father has for his family or a wife has for their family. Brothers and sisters have for each other. It's more of a family love. It's an affectionate bond that develops between parents and children and and, and siblings. And then the last type of love is eros. And this is a love that's emotionally involved in body chemistry, right? It's a romantic type of love. That's, that's the kind of love that causes us to procreate and fill the earth with little boys and little girls, right? God gave us that component uh, to help us populate the world. Now, up to this point, John's been talking about God's commandments in general. You know, the ones that Tim discussed and the ones that uh, our youth pastor Josh discussed before this, just general commands. But now he's going to narrow his focus to a single command, and it is a command of love one another. Now, in the Old Testament, loving your neighbor was one of the commandments that God gave. It was an Old Testament commandment that God gave you're supposed to love your neighbor. But now this Old Testament commandment is going to be singled out of all the other commandments, and it's going to be given preeminence over all the other commandments that they are. In other words, he's saying this is the most important commandment I'm putting above all the other ones that I've discussed up to this point. So how can one commandment be greater than all the other commandments? Because they're all important, right? I mean, they're all important. Obviously, not murdering somebody is important. Not stealing from someone is important. Not lying to one another, that's, that's very important. But, but John's saying love is even more important. So let's look at this together. Uh, go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, we're going to look at a scripture here. Starting with verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8 through 10, don't owe anything to anyone except your outstanding debt to continually love one another. For the one who learns to love, watch this, has fulfilled every requirement of the law. For the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and every other commandment can be summed up in these words, love and value others, the same way that you love and value yourself. Love makes it impossible to harm another, so love fulfills all that the law requires. Well, now we see why. Because see, when we're walking in love, all of these other Old Testament laws are taken care of. Really, we would need no laws if we all did the first and second commandment. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. If we did that, we would need no laws in our country whatsoever. Now, because we don't do that, we need laws. Because there are lost, sinful people who haven't been born again, and they're not filled with God's love, and their hearts have not been transformed. You know, it's just amazing. When Jesus came into my life, all of a sudden, I just love people. People that I would never have loved before. I just love people, and, and I wanted to tell people that I loved them, and it was kind of weird, and I wanted to hug people, and people were like, why are you hugging on me? I don't know. I just, I just love you, man. I just want to love you, and they're like, okay, that's good. You know, they just didn't understand that, that transformation that happened in my life, and so we see that love fulfills the law. So let, let me just give you an example. If you have children and you neglect your children, that's called child neglect or child abuse. And you'll go to jail for that, right? It happens all the time. But we, we don't take care of our children or not neglect our children because we're afraid of the law and the penalty of the law. We take care of our children and we provide for our children and treat our children well because we what? We love our children. So it's not a matter of law, it's a matter of love. So this commandment to love is above all of the laws because when we walk in love toward each other, we don't have to be commanded, don't steal from your neighbor, don't lie to your wife, don't cheat your friend, don't murder this person who made you angry or think, think murderous thoughts toward them. See, it, it's a love that God brings into our life and it transforms us and it translates into God's love overflowing out. We, we literally become like him. We're like little Christ, right? That's what Christian means. And because Christ is now inside of us, inside of our heart, we don't wanna do harm to our neighbor. We wanna do what's gonna be best for our neighbor and love our neighbor and, and, and treat our neighbor better than we would even treat ourselves. And that's why John says it's a new commandment because it has a new emphasis. See, he says it's an old commandment, but it's new because it's kind of got a new direction to it. Now it's not, a, it's not, you better do this. You're going to get punished. Now it's, hey, Christ lives inside of you. You've got this connection with God that has literally changed your heart. And now this is just this new emphasis just to love people. So students love their teachers and teachers love their students. And bosses love their employees. And employees love their bosses. And kids love their parents. And parents love their, their kids. Because God is in us. And he's expressing himself out of us. Clearly Christian love is not a shallow emotional sentiment. It's not like loving coffee or french fries or ice cream. It's different than that. And, and, I, and I'm, I, I'm, I don't mean that kiddingly. I mean that seriously because I think we're devaluing the meaning of a lot of words today. We've devalued the meaning of truth. Truth doesn't mean anything anymore because we've devalued it. And I, I don't want to, in, the, in the church of Jesus Christ, us just walking around throwing the word love around. And yet we didn't read 1 John and understand what love really looks like. Because we don't get to describe what love looks like. We don't get to make up the definition of love. God makes the definition of love. And God shows us what that actually looks like. 
So how do we know and show we love God? By loving our neighbors. That's how we do it. John 15, 13. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. You know, in Jesus Christ, we have a new illustration of an old truth. So we're compelled to love and treat each other with kindness because of Christ living in us. John explains that if you're in God, then you practice love. And if you don't practice love, then guess what? You're not in God. So this is hard for us to read because we would all have to admit there are times all throughout the week that we're not in God. Why? Because we're not walking in love. Boy, when we get that attitude, we start getting that lip puckered up or we get that brow bending in or we get that neck getting kind of stiff back here and we kind of feel that rise and we start becoming angry. Clearly, we have moved out of light, love, truth, life. And man, we've moved over here into the devil's camp, right? We're over here in darkness and ugliness and selfishness and all of these things. It's, you know, people say, well, how do you know you're in God? It's not hard. Just look at your attitude. Look at your countenance. Watch how you're treating people. You can clearly tell whether or not you're in God. The Bible's not complicated. We make it complicated. But when we read the Bible for what it really says, it's very easy. How do we know that we're loving God? We're loving people. We're treating people with love. John continues the illustration of love and light together in verses 9 through 11. So go, to, go back to 1 John chapter 2 and go to verse 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. If anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but he hates his fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and doesn't cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in the darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Now, here's the deal, church. It's a lot easier to say I love you, to talk about I love you, than it is to actually work it out every day with each other. True? I mean, I can get up here and preach about loving you, and then I've got to walk down off of the stage when I'm done, and I have to walk out what I just preached. When I go home, when I go to work, when I'm at Walmart, when that person pulls out in front of me, and, you know, I wave and smile right? So it's a lot easier to talk about it than it is to actually live it out. But John says it's impossible to be in fellowship with the Father and out of fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It says, how can you say that you love God whom you can't see when you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ whom you can see? So John challenges us to keep it real. See, the Christian life is not just vertical, God to man. It's also horizontal, man to man. That's what forms the cross. First, it's our relationship with God vertically, 
And then because of God's love that changes us and that constant river that's flowing, you know, that's why Jesus said it's a spring of eternal life springing up within you. Because of that flow from God's throne that's coming down to us every day because we make this connection happen every morning and every evening and all throughout the day, as like Paul said, we pray without ceasing. We've got this constant connection with the Lord. Because of that, then we're able to have this right here and it can work. We can have happy marriages and we can have children that we get along with and we can have people that we work with that we're not having a bunch of strife with and, and God can do that miracle in our life. Go to Matthew chapter five. Let's look at this together. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. Matthew five twenty one. you're familiar with the commandment that the older generation was taught. Do not murder or you will be judged. But I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart toward a fellow believer, you're subject to judgment. Wow. And whoever demeans and insults a fellow believer is answerable to the congregation. And whoever calls down curses upon a fellow believer is in danger of being sent into the fiery hell. So then, if you are presenting a gift before the altar in the temple, like you're at church and you come down the altars like we do every Sunday, and suddenly you remember a quarrel that you have with a fellow believer or somebody you're not right with, man, you leave that altar right there. You just get up and go at once and apologize to the one who is offended. Then, and it didn't say that you offended. It just said that is offended, right? Then after you have reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. It is always better to come to terms with the one who wants to sue you before you go to trial, or you may be found guilty by the judge, and he will hand you over to the officers who will throw you into prison. Believe me, you won't get out of prison until you've paid the full amount. In other words, Christian love is not just an emotional feeling that we have towards someone. It's a commitment and a daily decision that we're going to walk in love, that we're going to walk in forgiveness, that we're not going to hold a grudge or walk in offense with people. It's a daily decision. You know, how many people have been turned off to God because another believer in church didn't walk in love? You know, I think probably we all have stories of people that we know. I mean, I've got people that I know that quit coming to church because here's the thing, guys. People who are walking in offense are already looking for something to be offended by anyway. So we have to make sure that we do the best we can not to give them a reason not to come to church because the way that they're going to be transformed is by coming and sitting under the word. You know, as we're sitting under the word tonight, I'm speaking the word of faith out of my mouth. And for a mature person who is a person of faith, when the word of faith is preached and a word of faith goes forth, a person who is of faith receives that word of faith that comes into them and they feel that anointing and it begins to change their heart and their mind and they respond to it. They feel it. They sense it. God moves in them. So we don't want to give people reasons for not coming because of our behavior. And if you're going to walk in love, you have to live in light. And this is important. He talks about this. You can't live in a dark place in life. You can't live in secret sin. You, you can't do that and walk in love because you're disconnected from light. Light and love go together. They're like wet and water. You can't separate them. Light, love, truth, life, all of these things that John's talking about, all these things are woven together to form a tapestry of what heaven looks like. And the only atmosphere, and we all know this, the only atmosphere that produces healthy, growing things is what? 
light. You have to have light for things to grow. You have to have light for things to be healthy. Take a plant and put it in complete and utter darkness for just a few days and watch what happens to it. The chemical reaction, the the vitamins that it needs, the, the metamorphosis that takes place, it's unable for that transformation and that life to be produced because it's no longer in the light. And that's why one of the first things, listen, and you especially you TC guys and you Shalom guys that are kind of new in Christ, the first thing that the devil will do is get you offended at your brothers and sisters in Christ and he'll try to talk you into not going to church because of all those imperfect people there. And he'll cut you off from the source of light Then he'll begin to pull you into darkness and all of a sudden, man, you thought you were doing good, but I'm telling you, it's just a matter, a short matter of time. You think you've made progress? You better be careful because I'm telling you, the devil's just looking for an opportunity to get you and pull you back in to what you were in before. Everything needs light to grow. So if we practice love, we will live in the light. And we'll have fellowship with God. We won't live in dark places. We won't stumble or become a stumbling block for other people. We're not going to, you know, get our friends involved in things that they shouldn't be doing. We're not going to try to draw people into going places or doing things or listening to things or participating in things or having conversations about dark things because we're living in the light. And we'll grow spiritually and we'll progress toward Christ's likeness when we're in the light. We'll continue to mature and grow. See, God wants us to have a life that's real, it's honest, it's transparent, it's powerful, it's authentic. This is what the life of Jesus Christ provides us. A life that consists of more than just mere words, but it's demonstrated every day. Our children see it. Our friends see it. Our co-workers see it. Everybody sees it. It's, it's real. It's legit. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, listen to what this says. It says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That's Romans 12, 9. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So John goes on to say that there is a love that God hates. There's a love that God hates. It's a wrong kind of love. It's a love for the world. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, he explains this. He says, don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that the world offers us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance. None of these things come from the Father, but they're from the world. And this world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God live forever. Isn't that good? I mean, it's such sound, practical, common sense advice for all of us. The Bible makes it clear that if we're going to be fully aware of the world system, we're going to know that the world system is influenced by darkness. And a person who is a child of light does not allow himself to get involved into the darkness of the world. The scriptures say that we're in the world system, but we're not what? Of the world system. And the world system will corrupt your new life in Christ. It'll pull you away from the growth and the spiritual fellowship that God wants you to have with him. 
I, I think one of the, the mistakes that we make, let me just say this. The world system is not so much as a wrong activity as it is a wrong attitude. And I think we focus too much of our attention on what people are doing instead of what people's hearts are like. For, you know, let me just give you an example. We try to control people's actions and activities through religious rules. That's what they did in the Old Testament. That's why it's called the Old Testament. God said the old is passing away, the new is coming. So God wanted to usher us into a new covenant or a new type of relationship that they hadn't had before this. So it's not the music or the clothing or the hair or the makeup or whatever. It's the spirit behind it all. You know, and, and parents, you, you know, you got to get a hold of this with your children. You can't, you can't have rule-based discipline. You have to have a relationship-based discipline. And you have to work at capturing your child's heart, not their obedience. Because a child can obey you if they're in the home. You're going to do what I say. Go do this, go do this, go do this, go do this. And they're going to do it out of fear of punishment and being grounded. But have you captured their heart? You guys that are at TC and you guys that are at Shalom, listen, the people that are there that are over you, they can command you to do things and you'll do it because you're be kicked out of the program and you don't want that to happen. But you've got to come to a place where it's not about that. It's about what's going on in here. What is happening in here? And nobody, listen, nobody can control that in our life but us. No human being can make that happen. Only we can control that. So people seek God's will for their life and they still love the world. And the scripture teaches us that if we love God, we'll show God that we love him through an attitude of obedience to him. I don't obey God because I have to. I don't obey God because I'm scared I might go to hell. I obey God because I love him. And I know God wants what's best for me. And I know if I do that, it's going to benefit every single person around me. So what is worldliness? Anything that in a Christian's life that pulls him away from the Father's influence. That's what worldliness is. Is it certain types of music or certain types of movies or certain types of clothing or certain types of environments? The test is not the activity, but the attitude of your heart. That's what we've got to look at when we're talking about our connection with God. As I close, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, none of these things really are focused on an activity. They're focused on an attitude. And that's what's important to God, our Father. God's not so much concerned with you following all of the rules so you won't get punished or you won't get in trouble. No, God, that, that's, that's an immature kind of love. And Galatians talks about this. It says the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. So, you know, when we first start out in our walk with God, it is about, you know, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. Kind of like our children when they're small, we start them out doing that, but we, we bring them into a place where the law is written in their hearts and their minds. And we have this moral library built inside of us. And, any, and at any point throughout the day, I can go and I can look in the library of my heart and say, you know what? I don't need to treat that person like that because God says that's not what love looks like. And I would never want to do that. So here's the way I'm going to live. And so we, we live out of this heart attitude. It's important to remember that we're in the world, but we don't want to allow the world to be in us. God teaches us 
not to love the world's system. Why? It causes heartache in life. It causes divorce in families. It causes rebellion in our lives. It creates stress, tension, worry, fear of punishment. See, we don't love the world. We love God. This week, I want to encourage you. Connect with God. Spend time with him all throughout the day in prayer. Just all throughout the day, you're thinking about God. You're talking to him. You're cultivating this love relationship with God. God, I love you. God, I'm so thankful to you. Thank you, God, for saving me. God, thank you for blessing me. Lord, I love you. Thank you for having patience with me, God. Thank you, God, that you're so good to me. See, that's the kind of relationship that we have with the Father. And as we do that, God begins to transform us. And man, all of a sudden, you'll find yourself loving people that are hard to love. You'll find yourself responding in ways that normally you might respond out of the flesh this way. And now you're responding out of the spirit this way because the love of God is in us. If we're in God and God is love, then love will be in us and it will come out. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap tonight. Come on. Come on. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, as we connect with you, you know, we know, Lord, that we'll be transformed into love. God, transform us into love. Help us. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 